0: gathering together to learn about Jesus and wanted us to pray for that while we're here together. So let's do that. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for this past week and someone won to you and we thank you for our students and the time away. And, and we do pray that that week away would help them uh, to grow in their love for you and to follow you in a hostile culture. And Lord, we're thankful for this coming week and and all the moms and grandmothers who've opened up their homes and their hearts to welcome children in their neighborhood and and to teach them about Jesus. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on the moms and grandmothers and the leaders that they might lead and teach and love well. And for the children who come, open uh, ears. And we pray that many children would be one to you and others would be built up and others equipped. Lord, we pray for a great, great week. Lord, we need you. That's why we're here. So we pray as we study your word together that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh and that some would be one to you and others built up and others equipped and that you would multiply disciple makers here and around the world. We move out from our church and we think of our nation. We pray for revival We have put our hope in so many things that have disappointed us, and what we need is a revival in your church. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us and revive us. And then out of a revival in your church, bring a spiritual awakening in our land. May the gospel spread rapidly in St. John's County and throughout our nation, because we need you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're new, we believe the Bible is God's word, and we are walking through 1 Peter together. We're in 1 Peter 2, and we have a purpose in the series. The purpose in this series is to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. So we're going to start reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, what we're going to be focusing in on today, the point of today's message, is that Jesus is our model for suffering. If you're new at Good News, we want to make disciples together, and we believe that Jesus is our model for life and ministry. That if we want to look at how life was meant to be lived, we look at Jesus and he's our model. And if we want to know how to do ministry, if we want to learn how to win people to Christ or to disciple people, we look at Jesus. So we're in a three-part series that Jesus is our model. And last week we learned he's our model for, for excellent behavior. Thank you. Someone was paying attention last week. He was our model for excellent behavior. And then next week we're going to come back and learn that Jesus is our model for healthy relationships, If you'd like healthy relationships, come next week, bring someone with you, and we'll look at Jesus together and learn how. Uh, But today, we're going to focus on how Jesus is our our model for suffering, and a lot of you say, that sounds fun. (laughs) It's going to be good. Stay awake. Because in an increasingly hostile culture, there's an important question we need to ask. And here's the question, what are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to lose your job over? What would you be willing to go to jail for? What, if anything, anything, would you be willing to die for? Those are important questions for us to ask in an increasingly hostile culture. But I have a question way more important than that, and here's what that question is. What would Jesus suffer for? What did Jesus consider so valuable that it would be worth dying for? You know what it was? It was you and me. Did you see that? For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. He considered us so valuable. He was willing to suffer for us. He was willing to die for us. Why? Why did he need to suffer for us? Why did he need to die for us? Isn't that the gospel? Why he needed to? You see the word gospel means good news, but it has some bad news. Here's the bad news, verse 24. See, our sins. It's a universal problem. All of us have sinned against God. You say, "Well, what is sin?" Look at verse 25. You were continually straying like sheep. Sin is cosmic rebellion. God made us. God wants us to follow him. And we say, get out of our life. Don't tell us what to do. We'll do life our way. And so all of us, we sin against God over and over again. The shepherd in the rebellion, doesn't that sound like Isaiah 53? Doesn't it? In Isaiah 53, the Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. How many? And then he says each of us has turned to his own way. How many? How many? Each one, each and all. Every one of us says, God, don't tell us how to live. And so we've committed crime after crime against God. And the Bible says that what we deserve for sinning against God is hell itself. We deserve eternal separation from God and all good things. And we say, well, what do we do? What do we do? Here is the good news. Once we understand the bad news, then we understand the good news. Verse 25, Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who came to lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus is God the Son who put on flesh and came to earth to seek and save sinners, living a perfect life for us, and then going to the cross. You see that in verse 24, what happened on the cross? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. You ever think about that? When when you do something wrong, do, do you feel shame? you feel ashamed of it? Can you imagine someone who had never felt shame because he had never done what? He had never done anything wrong, and then, in one moment, all the sins of his people for all time were placed on him, and he experienced the wrath of God that our sins deserve. Wow, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. It's through his death in our place that we are saved. That reminds me as well back in Isaiah 53, we looked at the bad news before. Now let's look at the good news. The bad news all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The good news, but the Lord, God the Father, has caused the iniquity, our sins, to fall on Jesus. So Jesus took our sin. He died in our place, crying out from the cross, it is finished, and then he rose. And his resurrection proves he had conquered sin and death, and he offers us salvation as a free gift. And we say, saved from what? We're saved from our sin and the penalty of sin which is hell. We're saved from, ru- from wasting our lives, and we're saved for forgiveness. We're saved for the opportunity to do life with Jesus, the opportunity to do eternity with Jesus. And what does he require of us? Romans 10:9: <clears throat> "That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved." Listen, salvation begins on the inside. It begins on the inside, and then it comes out our mouth. We confess. Listen, believing in Jesus, confessing Jesus really is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit, have you? It starts on the inside where we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you do that even now? Or I'll give you a chance as we close in prayer. But Lord, I've sinned, not just everyone, I have. And then we believe, right? Jesus, I believe. You died on the cross for my sins and rose. Thank you. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior. Jesus, I'm going to quit trying to be good. I'm going to accept what you did for me. Forgive me and give me eternal life. And then we surrender. To confess Christ as Lord is saying, today the rebellion against you stops. I want you to move in and be Lord and help me be the person you want me to be. Um, If you've never been saved, won't you admit and believe and commit, won't you? And if you have, listen to what he says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've been saved from your sins. You've been saved from hell. You've been saved from wasting your life. You've been saved for Jesus to follow him and enjoy him now and forever. And so when Jesus moves in, he says to us, what he says, follow me, right? Follow me. You say, Jesus is our model. He's our model for suffering, but He's our Savior first. He's our Savior first, and then our model. Sometimes people get it backwards and they try and follow Jesus without first letting Him save them. Listen, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. But when Jesus saves us, then He says, What? Follow me. And um, so let's look at how He says, Follow me about suffering. Let's go back to verse 21. For you have been called. See the word called? It's not, that's not mother, it's not mom saying, come in, it's dinner time. It's an effectual call that Jesus loved you so much. He sent someone to share the gospel with you, and He sent the Holy Spirit to draw you because He wanted to do life and eternity with you. He called you to Himself. And what was His purpose? For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Wow. Jesus shows us how to suffer. See the word example there? Uh, the, The Greek word, and I'm no Greek scholar, but it's hupo, gramos, and hupo is before, and it combines with grapho, which means to write that you're writing before, remember maybe you're in elementary school, I get the, the years wrong, but remember maybe they have the alphabet around the room on the top, or maybe they give you a piece of paper, and there's a big A, and you're supposed to copy it, right? And there's a little a, and you practice, and you practice, and you practice, so that your letters look like those, to which I hear some of you say, well, Smiley, you must not have practiced very hard, because <laughs> your writing is terrible. But isn't that how you learn to write? You look at the original and you copy and you copy and you copy so your letters look like that letter. That's what he's saying it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We look at him and then we seek to follow him. We try and step in his steps. And so here, we're learning about suffering. Jesus is our model for suffering. And what do we learn from Jesus about suffering? What we learn from Jesus about suffering is there are things worth suffering for. There are things worth dying for. And what was worth suffering for? And what was worth dying for? You were and I were, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. Does that blow your mind? He considered us worthy to suffer for, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So as we find ourselves as Christians in an increasingly hostile culture, we need to ask the question, what am I willing to suffer for? What am I willing to lose my job for? What am I willing to go to jail for? What am I willing to die for? These are questions we need to ask, and I want you to know I've thought through them, and I want to share with you what I'm willing to suffer for. Well, actually, these are what I want to suffer for. Can I confess something to you? I'm a coward, and I want you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? That at this time in our history, I won't be a coward, but I will be willing to suffer for the things I'm sharing with you. And if you'll pray for me, then I'll pray for you too, okay? At Good News, we believe the disciples are followers of Jesus. And what does that look like? We believe that disciples love Jesus. They love one another, and they love the lost. And those are the things I want to suffer for. I'm willing willing to suffer for Jesus. Are you? I'm willing to suffer for his church, for one another, because it's precious to me. And I'm willing to suffer for lost people because they matter. So so let's walk through that. I want to be willing to suffer for Jesus. And do you know why? Because he was willing to suffer for me. One of my favorite verses is we love because he first loved us. He loved us first. And so we love him back, right? So he suffered for us, right? And so we want to suffer for him, right? But here's what's amazing. Jesus is worth suffering for. He's worth it. He's worth it. But you know what should blow our minds? He suffered for us. And we're not worth it. And when we are blown away that he suffered for us, that's when we will want to suffer for him. Well, what what does it mean to suffer for Jesus? Remember when Jesus was here? Remember he was was saying some difficult things in John chapter 6? Remember the story he's saying some difficult things? Let's let's pick up the story. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. You see, Jesus said some difficult things. The culture was getting a little hostile toward the Christian faith. And many said, "Uh, we'll leave. Do you know there's a movement now about churches called Leave Loud? Leave your church and take as many people as you can with you. you know why? Because our culture is saying there will be a price for those who follow Jesus. Are you planning on leaving or or, or staying? We need to ask the question as a result of this. Many of his disciples withdrew and they weren't walking with him anymore because the price was too high. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Uh, isn't that a great question? How about you? You have plans to leave? And so as Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom should we go? You have words of eternal life. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? You're the only one as words of eternal life. And uh, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Um, do, do you know that none of us are getting out of this log? Did you know that? Do you know one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God? And do you know the only hope I have? The only chance I have is Jesus. Where am I going to go? Religious people. Religious people think they're so good that when they stand before God, God's going to say, it's cool. I have no chance as a religious person. No chance at all. My only hope for heaven is Jesus. Is that true of you? Man, I'm not leaving. Where am I going to go? How about in John 14, verse 6? Jesus said to him, I am the way. Where am I going to go? He's the way and the truth. Where am I going to go? And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Listen, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus is the way. Listen, He's the only way. He's the truth. Where am I going to go? He's the truth. I love Jesus. He's the truth in a confused world. There's truth. Where did we come from? What went wrong? How do we fix it? Where are we going? The answer to these questions are found in Jesus. He's the truth. (laughs) Listen, he's not only the way and the truth. He's the what? He's the... Isn't he the one that makes life worth living? How can you leave the one who is life? How can you leave? Isn't Jesus the one who makes life worth living, isn't he? Where are we going to go? John 17. Did you know that Jesus is praying for us? He's praying for us because he knows we're cowards, and he's praying we'd be courageous at a time like this. Uh, So so here's what Jesus is praying in John 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Let that sink in a little bit. Hated. Hated. Uh, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus came into the world, and what did the world do to him? What did the world do? They killed him. They hated him. So why do we think the world that killed Jesus will like us and will win popularity contests? Hmm? You know why the world will hate us? Because of his word. His word. I have given them your word. There is a moral and sexual Revolution sweeping across our country, destroying everything in its path. And you know what stands in its path? The family. So the family is under attack. Don't you hear how we need to get rid of the patriarchy or or the nuclear family? That stands in the way of the revolution. You know what else stands in the way? The Word. We're a people of the book. Let me tell you. I love this book. It is the word of God, and it smells like Jesus. And everything I know about the one who suffered for me, I learn in this book, right? Um, it's going to be hard, but listen, we need to make a decision. Jesus is worth suffering for. His word is worth suffering for. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Listen to what Paul would say in Galatians chapter 1. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Every day when we go out, are we trying to please God or our culture? Which one? Do we want to be a friend of God or a friend of the world, right? Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ, why would I hook my wagon to the one who was killed by the world if my goal in life was for the world to like me? We've got to make a decision. Our culture is pushing us toward a decision. Are we going to choose Jesus or our culture? That's our choice. But you can't have both. Oh, to make it a little more clear, let's go to the book of James. Um, James 4.4, you adulteresses. Do you know there are so many things that break Jesus' heart, and I I don't want to be one of them. Do do you? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we say what I want more than anything is to be a friend of the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. I, I, I want Jesus to consider me his friend, don't you? So I want you to know, as we live in a hostile culture, we need to ask the question, what is worth suffering for? And and listen, Jesus is worth suffering for. He is. He is. His word is worth suffering for. You know what else is? His church. His church is worth suffering for. One day, we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 4. And when we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read these words, above all. Now, it might surprise you what it says, right? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Here's what Peter is saying. You are seeking to follow Jesus in a hostile culture. And and listen, it's going to be so hard to follow Jesus in a hostile culture. It's hard together, but it's impossible alone. You'll never do it on your own. So above everything else, Love one another because you're going to need each other to stand for Christ in a hostile culture. Do you believe that? Recently, I was meeting with a couple, and they were saying that they were really cool with Jesus. They loved Jesus, but but his church had hurt them and disappointed them so much that they didn't want to be involved in a church. And you know what I was tempted to do? I was tempted to lie. What do you mean lie? Well, I was tempted to say, well, come to good news and nobody will ever disappoint you here or hurt you. But I knew that would be what? A lie. lie. So here's what I said. We're seeking to follow Jesus in a hostile culture. And we need the church. Do you know what the church is? I told them the church is like we were on this cruise ship, and it sank. And we're in this life raft that's got holes in it, and it's leaking. And we don't like the other people in the life raft. We don't. We would never have chosen to be in the life raft with them. But we're in it and we're a long way from shore, and the tide's going out, and we'll never make it on our own. And some of us are paddling, and some of us are bailing, and while we do this, sometimes we hit each other with the paddles, and people fall asleep that are bailing, but we have to have, we fight for each other, we fight for each other, because the only way we can make it is to do it together. It has to work. We have to fight for each other. We're in a hostile culture. That's why he says above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. If you ask me smiling, what has been the hardest thing in ministry? The hardest thing in ministry has been friendly fire, not enemy fire. The hardest thing in ministry for over 40 years has been friendly fire. I expected fire from the enemy. I did not expect it from within. But isn't that what stung Jesus the most, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, I'm going to the cross, and one of his own said what? I'm not going to let you go to the cross. Isn't that friendly fire? When Jesus was betrayed, who was he betrayed by? Who? One of his 12. That's friendly fire. It wasn't his enemy. It was his friends. When, when the disciples left, that wasn't enemy fire. That was what? Friendly fire. Friendly fire. When Peter denied him, that was what? Friendly fire. Did Jesus give up on the church? No. He shed his blood for the church because with all of her leaks and flaws, it's the best hope for the world. And that's why I'm here. Because I'm in a life raft, and I need you. And you need me to swim against our culture together. Now let me share with you something that helps. Notice what he says. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. You know why I've stayed in this for a long time? Because in any room, I know who the biggest sinner is, and it's me. I can't believe that I get to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And because he's forgiven me a multitude of sins, every day of my life, that enables me to be in a life raft with other fallen people too. Oh, Jesus is worth suffering for. His church is worth suffering for. The lost are worth suffering for. Isn't that what Jesus' whole life was about? For you have been called for this purpose, to join Jesus in And rescuing lost people since Christ also suffered for you. Don't you remember when you were lost, how he suffered for you? Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. You're a wine-bibber, you're a drunkard and a glutton, and you do your miracles by the power of the devil. They said all kinds of things. And he was silent before his accusers in the days ahead, we're going to be accused of all kinds of terrible things. And there's only two possibilities. You know that, right? That they're true. And some of them will be true. And when we get accused of things that are wrong, we need to say, you're right, I'm guilty. But I want you to know I'm guilty of far worse than that, too. And that's why I'm a Christian. Because the only hope that I have in life is Jesus. Or, people accuse us of things and they're not true. And if they're not true, we say, well, that's not true. But I am guilty of far worse. Far, far worse. And that's why I'm a Christian. He's my only hope in the world. Well, Smiley, what about my reputation? If you're a Christian, you have no reputation. You don't. If you're a Christian, you've said, I'm so rotten. My only hope is Jesus. Jesus. Shouldn't we stand out in such a self-righteous culture that we're the ones who recognize how sinful we are? Um... And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Listen, Jesus crossed the pain line over and over again to save us, right? And so we cross over the pain line to to win others. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You know what I love about the Bible? Every night when I go to bed, someone writes new verses in there I never saw before because all of a sudden they just stick out. I never remember reading them like that before. You see, Jesus continually crossed the pain line. He did, and he did it for us. In Mark chapter 2, I mean, we we live in a canceled culture, right? You do something wrong, you get what? Canceled. And what that means is you're hated, and there's no way back. Do you know that's nothing new? In the world that Jesus lived in, they had canceled culture. And they canceled tax gatherers and sinners and would have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. They hated them, and they didn't want people even to talk to them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So we pick up the story in Mark 2. As Jesus passed by, he saw Levi. We usually think of him as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. When he said that, Jesus crossed the pain line. He just asked someone who had been canceled by the culture to be his friend. He said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. You see, when we cross the pain line, sometimes we'll experience hunger, Jesus did here, and sometimes hostility, and some both at the same time. (laughs) So first, Jesus crosses the pain line, and and he says to Matthew, follow uh, me and, and Matthew says I have a lot of friends. They'd like to meet you too. How about coming to a party? So we read on to this party Matthew throws and it happened that Jesus was reclining at the table in his house You know why I love Revelation 3:20? because it's about friendship. Jesus says I want to come in and dine with you And so Jesus is eating with sinners the, the people in Israel they couldn't believe it. He was eating with something they would have nothing to do with with sinners canceled people. He was reclining at the table in his house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many of them and they were following him. When Jesus crossed the pain line, he experienced hunger. They were hungry to, hungry to hear about forgiveness and how they could be saved. He also encouraged encountered hostility. Notice what comes next. When the scribes of the Pharisees, you know, the in crowd, That the important people, we have those elites in our culture too, right? When the elites saw it, uh, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Now just imagine, you've been invited. All your life you've been canceled. You've been a nobody. And, and, And someone has has shown you some love and then all the elites show up and they're condemning you, who would Jesus side with? What would Jesus do? Listen, would he leave those that he'd been nice to and side with the elites or would he stand up for sinners? Uh, Next verse. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call the righteous, but sinners. Don't you know that changed the lives and eternities of the tax gatherers and sinners? They said, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. You see, Jesus crossed He crossed the pain line, didn't he? There was hunger. Many came to faith in Christ. There was hostility. You know where the pain line is, don't you? You do, don't you? You get asked to say a prayer somewhere. You can avoid the pain line, right, and just have a nice prayer and say, Jesus, bless everybody. You can kind of flirt with the pain line, right? You can kind of get close to it. Some people get close, and they'll pray and say, oh, in in your name we pray, right? Oh, and then you're someplace, and someone, what, they step across the line, right, and they say what? In Jesus' name, right? Isn't that what changes it, isn't it? I mean, you can talk with your friends about being spiritual, right, But as soon as you drop the J-bomb (laughs) right? as soon as you mention Jesus, you've crossed the line, haven't you? What'd you do this weekend? Will you cross the pain line, will you? Man, I went to church, and I got to know Jesus so much better. Will you cross the pain line? You know what the pain line is that um, you have your your Bible. uh, Do you take it to school with you? When you go to lunch with someone, do you take a Bible with you? In your office, do you carry a Bible to work and people see that? Do, do you, aren't you crossing the pain line? Um, the pain line's coming to us. If you don't go looking for it, it'll find you. Someone's going to ask you, are you an ally? Are you an ally of the LGBT community? Are you? And, and what are you going to say? What are you going to do when it comes to you? Are, you? are you ready for the pain line? I think we need to learn from Jesus. Jesus learned to answer a question with what? a question. So if someone asks you that, why don't you just say, well, are you an ally of the LGBT community? Ask them. You know what that'll do? First, it'll give you time to think. (laughs) It'll give you time to pray. You'll learn something. It's much easier to ask questions than answer them. But then follow up that question, well, are you an ally of the LGBT community? And if they say yes, say, have you always been? What changed your mind? And how do you know you're right? Just follow up with those questions. By that time, they might have forgotten, they ask you. <laughs> but if they didn't forget, and they come back and ask you, listen, we need to learn from Jesus. People want to argue things way downstream, and Jesus said, no, no, we need to go back and, and talk about the beginning. So if someone asked me that question, I'm going to say, I'm a Christian, And I believe the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. And the first one says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then I'm going to say God created us, male and female, in his image for a purpose. God's first command was to have sex. Did you know that? It was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people. But because God believed that children needed a mom and dad, God in his love said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We have such a story to tell our culture about sex and marriage and parenting. great story. But we have to cross the pain line to get there, don't we? Oh, the pain line. I am such a coward. Uh, recently, recently, uh, uh, a man in our community died and he was real well known. And um, St. Saint, Saint John's funeral home called us to see if we would host the service because their chapel wouldn't hold the people. And then they asked me if I would officiate. And I said I would. And I talked to the widow and We talked about having a sharing time, and then we had a sharing time, and it went 30 minutes an hour. It went 70 minutes. I've been at this a long time, and I know that our butts have a timer. (laughs) About 70 minutes, 75 minutes, then the mind just clicks off. It's 70 minutes in, and there's part of me that's saying, "Uh, it's too long, it's too long. Just say a prayer and end it. Then the other side of me is saying, Smiley, you always tell people they need a three-minute gospel presentation and a 10-minute gospel presentation and a 30-minute. This would be a really good time for a three. So I prayed a prayer, and then I got up, because it's hard to cross the pain line, especially if you're a coward like me. And I said, I've heard it said that you should live the kind of life that people don't have to lie about you at your funeral. And this man lived that kind of life. Look at all the people in this room who are here to say how he has blessed them in so many ways. And I said, but he died young, and he died unexpectedly. And so what I'd love to share with you is how important it is to be prepared to die. Maybe nobody's told you this, but none of us are getting out of this alive, and the amount of preparation we put into something should be in direct proportion to the certainty of that event. So I just want to share with you one thing, how important it is to be prepared to die. And I read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I said, the bad news is we've sinned. You've heard this before, right? And, and I said, the good news is Christ died for me and rose. And then I said, our part's to believe. And that's as simple as ABC. And, it may believe, and, and I prayed and gave people an opportunity. Sometimes I wonder what happens Well, there's a couple from our church who were there and are friends with the family, and they went to a reception after the service. And the guy said, you know, Smiley, person after person came up to me and said, that's really got me thinking how important it is to be prepared to die. I like what he said. He said it was simple. Could you explain to me the ABCs? And this guy's been here for years, and he's heard it thousands of times. But you know what? That means, right? He could do it. He could do it, and he was sharing the gospel with all of these people. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that Jesus is our model, right? He's our model. He shows us there's things worth suffering for. We need to ask the question. I know in my life I've asked the question, and I believe that Jesus, his church, and lost people are worth suffering for. How about you? So here's, here's the action step for this week. I, I want you to this week to say, Jesus, help me to cross the pain line this week. I think we should very intentionally walk up to the pain line, ask Jesus to help, and and step over it, and and step over it, because we need to get used to stepping over the pain line, Um, and and I want to help you get there. Did you know that the church was birthed in a hostile culture? Did you know that? If you think this is hostile, you should have been there when the church was birthed. The church was birthed in Jerusalem 50 days after Jesus was crucified on a cross. Did you know that? And the very people who had crucified Jesus were still the religious leaders in Jerusalem. It's 50 days later, and the Holy Spirit falls, and Peter gets up and preaches. And when he preaches, there's hunger and hostility. There's hunger. 3,000 people were saved in one day. Wow! But there was hostility, too. And boy, did the religious leaders get angry. So by Acts 4, they've arrested Peter and John, and uh, they're, they're interrogating them. Now just imagine. I mean, I'm a coward, right? Here's Peter and John before all the religious leaders who had killed Jesus. I might be careful what I say, but <laughs> look at what they said, Acts 4.12. They said to the religious leaders who had killed Jesus, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You guys are lost. And you need Jesus. Now, how did they respond? Look at verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John. Now, some translations say the boldness. Now, as they observed the confidence, the boldness of Peter and John standing before these religious leaders, lifting up Jesus they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Um, know what I'm praying for? That in our hostile culture, when people see our confidence and they see our boldness, they will say, these people have been with Jesus. Isn't that what you long for? So what did the religious leaders do? And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What are you going to do when we're commanded? Do you know in Canada there's hate speech? That if you call certain sins a sin, do you know that you could be arrested because that's a hate speech? Do you know that if you criticize Islam in Canada, you could be arrested because that would be hate speech? Are we willing to preach when we've been told not to? They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Oh, Jesus, help me to be like that. Help me to be like that. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you? you guys, there. Don't you? Don't you? I'm not sure, don't you? Yes. Okay, thank you. If you find it hard to say in here, wait till you're in front of all these people, right? When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Culture's hostile. You've been told not to speak anymore. What do you think they did? What do you think they did? Hmm? Um, no, th- they would speak, but they did a couple things first. Let's look at what they did in uh, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together. Do you know the first thing they did was they gathered together. When you're a persecuted minority in a hostile culture, you treasure the opportunities you have to gather together. They gathered together. And when they gathered together, then they prayed. They said, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us cross the pain line. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. You know what we're doing now? We're what? We're, we've what? We've gathered together. And why have we gathered together? Because probably most of us are are cowards in a hostile culture, right? So we've gathered together to do what? To pray. To pray. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, help us, right? Oh, we've gathered together. I'm about to pray. And what I'm praying for is the Holy Spirit falls fresh on us and we're shaken. And this week, When we go out, we have new confidence to cross the pain barrier. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you considered us worth suffering for. Thank you for suffering and dying to save sinners like us. And listen, if you've never been saved, won't you? Won't you tell Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior. And forgive me and and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray that we would all ask the question what are we willing to suffer for? That we would follow your example. What are we willing to go to jail for? What are we willing to die for? Lord, help us to make that decision. Help us to say you're worth it, that one another is worth it, that that winning lost people is worth it. Oh, Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us, shake us. Give us boldness that this week we might go out and cross the pain barrier and and share the gospel and, and expect hunger, expect people to be hungry and yet not be deterred when we find hostility. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.